Hello, listeners. We have some exciting news. Faith Foundations Podcast is having a full day woman's retreat at the Wilderness Center in Wilmot, Ohio. So mark your calendars for July 16th from 9 to 3 p.m. If you're enjoying what you're hearing on this podcast, bring some friends and spend the day with me. Breakfast and lunch are included, and there will be scheduled times for you to personally connect with God in the beautiful surrounding scenery. Follow the Eventbrite link in the show notes for more retreat details and registration. Registration is open until July 1st. Welcome to Faith Foundations with Open the Word with Circle of Friends podcast. I'm your host for this discipleship series. My name is Gwen McCaslin, and I think quite a few of you have probably been listening, so I just appreciate you joining us. Today, I, I really want to pull out a couple more psalms um, of just, there's just some pretty precious ones in here that sometimes we don't really understand. And I'm going to, I think I'm going to start um, in Psalm 119, um, because chapter 119 is very much a standout passage in the book of Psalm. Um, one, it is a poem that is somewhat acrostic. Um, and it, it loses that in translation to English. Um, but what you do need to understand is you'll see all of these little words that you have no idea what they are because they're Hebrew above um, these little paragraphs of verses. Um, now, I want to kind of back up a little bit because when you get especially to the New Testament um, and in the Old Testament, the Bible wasn't written with chapters and verses. That is something that has been added historically along the way to help us find things in Scripture, okay? And so, like, for example, even some of the Old Testament books started out as one scroll, and then because the scroll got so long, they split it in two books. So First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, Chronicles, so on and so forth. Um, and then even Ezra and Nehemiah were written as one scroll and then later divided into two. Um, and so it's important to know that as the 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 church has kind of walked with the word, um, they've they've added some things for our convenience. And so one of the things they've added is chapters and verses um, so that we can locate and, and, you know, oh, John 3.16 says blah, blah, blah. And we know where that's at. We know that it's in chapter 3 of the book of John and this verse, so and forth. But it's not that the original scribe or the original author of that book would have included all of that. Psalms is the standout exception. Um, And so when you get Psalm 119, that would have been a standalone thing. Um, And these would have been um, like writings and poems that would have been collected. And at some point, they were put together in kind of like a catalog or a, a group of books, you know, and so they were organized. And so that's something that's pretty helpful for you to understand with the book of Psalms. Um, and so, uh, you know, you're going to get all different kinds of poetry in here. So Psalm 119 is actually an acrostic poem, alphabetical. It uses the entire Hebrew alphabet. And so, um, and you're going to have to forgive me because I'm not familiar with the Hebrew alphabet. Um, and but you know, for example, if you look at verse nine, it's it's titled Beth. Well, that's not the person Beth. It is actually the letter B in the Hebrew alpha, alphabet, or the equivalent to B. It would be the second in their alphabet. 
Okay, that's important to know because in this psalm particularly, um, they have uh, all the way through. So they've written all of these almost stanzas, um, and and they start with you know these these letters, and so that's something that kind of gets lost. But the entire book. Uh, Psalm of 119 um, is about the law of God. Now, whenever you see the law of God, I want you to put in the covenant that God makes with his people, the law. Okay, that's the definition I want you to put because it implies relationship. And I think sometimes the word law doesn't always have that for us. And so I want you to think in terms of this was the covenant that was made at Mount Sinai with God's people. This was his one-way promise that he made with the nation of Israel. And he made a one-way promise because he knew what they were made of. He knew that there would be unfaithfulness. He knew that they would break the covenant. He knew that they would constantly have to be brought back and reminded of the covenant. And if you look throughout the Old Testament, what do you see? You see all of these moments where Israel is brought back into alignment with the covenant, where they renew their covenant promise before the Lord. Um, Moses did this quite a bit. Um, You see uh, Joshua doing this. Uh, when they go into the land, but also at the end of his life. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He's inspiring an entire nation to renew their covenant relationship with the Lord. Through the book of Judges, you see this over and over. The people are encouraged to renew their covenant with the Lord. And so you see this all over. You'll see this again when they come back out of exile. They build their new temple. You know, Ezra leads the people in in basically bringing their lives into alignment with God's word. Um, And so, um, and, you know, doing a feast that they haven't done since Joshua, the son of Nun, was, you know, um, and that's the Joshua that said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So, you know, they brought back the Feast of Booths, which hadn't been practiced. So, you know, just understand that the Old Testament is this constant cycle of God raising up someone who challenges them to come back to covenant faithfulness with the Lord. Um, And so whenever you see the law of the Lord, I want you to think Torah and covenant relationship with God's people, okay? Um, Because it was tangibly the the Torah, um, which is the first five books of the Bible that Moses wrote, um, okay? And so you'll see all kinds of things in here. And and some of my favorites, um, okay, uh, let's start in verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? Um, by keeping it according to your word. Uh, With all my heart I've sought you. Do not let me wander from your commands. Your word I've treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. Um, This is a verse that a lot of times we use to talk about putting God's word in our hearts, in our memories, in our minds, through verse memory and meditation, things like that. And by meditation, I don't mean the Mideastern stuff. I mean sitting in God's word and chewing on it and um, thinking through how it applies to us and how we live it out, stuff like that, like uh, reading God's word and keeping it in front of us. Um, New Testament uh, there is a illustration where um, it's talked about how a man 
goes and looks in the mirror and then turns and walks away and forgets what he looks like. Um, and so we're admonished not to do that. We're admonished to to look in, in God's word like it's a mirror and measure our lives against it and then walk away remembering what we need to fix. So, you know, I, I look at my daughter sometimes in the morning and I'm like, go look in the mirror. <laughs> you need to brush your hair. You know, it, what would happen if she went and looked in the mirror and then forgot that her hair is sticking up in three places? Well, she may go throughout her entire day and forget to fix her hair. Um, you know, if especially if some of those older gals don't take mercy on her <laughs> and help her redo her ponytail or something. Um, but, you know, you get that idea. You understand kind of what's going on. Okay, Um You've got, uh, let's see, a little bit further down, um, verse 24, your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. Uh, when you are in the word to the point that you get this, you understand how the word becomes your delight. You're getting there. Um, I was talking with a gal the other day, and she said, Gwen, she goes, I'm noticing that I am starting to, every time I have a decision to make or every time I'm trying to figure out what to do on something, I'm going, God, what do you want me to do? She goes, I just don't feel like anybody else does that. I feel like when I speak and talk about that kind of stuff at church, people look at me like I'm crazy. And I, I'm, I sat with that a little bit, and I went, well, okay. But that's what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be so connected with God and the Holy Spirit that we're bringing everything before the Lord, saying, Lord, I need your leading on here. Now, he may not care if you buy the Toyota Tracel or the, you know, this car over here, whether it's red or it's blue, but he may have something to communicate in that. He may look at you and say, hey, why don't you buy the lesser car? Because I've got some things we could do with that money. Um, and you just never know. I mean, here's the thing I, I want you to understand. This is what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be living connected with the Lord. You don't just connect in on Sunday. I mean, that's not what this is supposed to look like. Um, we are supposed to run in the way of God's commands. Well, how do you run on the path if you're avoiding the path throughout the week and only getting back on it on Sunday? You know, uh, the, to walk in God's commands is literally like to take a trailhead. You know, you know, one of the number one rules of a hiker is that you be very careful if you're going off trail because you can get lost. Even the most experienced hiker can get lost in ter terrain he's not familiar with. And so the trail's marked for a reason, for your safety and your protection. Um, the Lord maps out a path for us through his word. Um, there are things that he says don't do, and he doesn't just throw out that to squash your fun. He does it because it is for your best and because of his love for you. Um, there is a reason. For example, he says no sex outside of the confines of marriage. Okay, well, why? Well, as a counselor, I'm going to look at you and say, you pay a price when you do it outside of a secure relationship that is supposed to be monogamous for a lifetime because intimacy and sex before marriage sex is glue it knits souls together and so it's like taking two pieces of cardboard and gluing them together 
And then when that relationship breaks up because it's not permanent, you know, and somebody moves on to a new boyfriend or new girlfriend, you rip that two pieces of cardboard apart and you both walk away with just these massive wounds because there's been intimacy without the security of a covenant relationship before the Lord. Um, That relationship is meant to be a triangle relationship. It is meant to be two people with God at their point, at their head. And if both of them are seeking the Lord, they will get closer and closer together. God will be convicting of sin because that is what his Holy Spirit does. And so there will be a growing safety for intimacy to abide in. Without that safety, intimacy is victim. I mean, it can really be opening yourself up for being a victim, for being hurt. Um, you know, for example, you know, if a husband is selfish, he can be leading his wife into danger for her, for her kids, for their home, for their life. For example, like a financial situation. If you have one spouse that just wants to buy, 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 it puts you in financial danger. It can destroy your livelihood, your foundation, your, you know, your goals, your security of your family. Well, it's the same way with touch, with, you know, um, how you share stuff with one another, with finding your safety within that marriage covenant. Um, And so the best thing couples can do is stop focusing on the sex and start being safe for one another. Start building that safety and being a spouse that can be trustworthy and relied upon. Um, I think a lot of times when I've worked with, you know, unfaithfulness in the marriage or just different things like um, sin, pornography, and other things, um, that so breaks the trust in the relationship that, quite frankly, it's like having broken bones. There has to be an outside, one, the bones have to be reset. So what has completely been displaced or broken um, or out of joint needs to be brought back into alignment. That is the first thing that has to happen because that relationship will never uh, heal correctly unless everything's been brought back into alignment. What needs to happen, first of all. Secondly, there needs to be a splint. There needs to be a cast. There needs to be a protections that are put in place. And the person causing the break needs to be willing to do whatever it takes to allow the broke break that's been done to heal properly. And here's the thing. The doctor can see that a break heals in some ways, but it's the person walking on that foot that says, no, something's not right yet, that lets the doctor know if it's truly healed because the pain will subside. They'll be able to trust and put weight on it again. It'll be trustworthy again. So, you know, there's two sides to this because on the other side of it, if it's been put right on the other end and the, the protections have been in place, then it's time when you feel ready to start putting weight back and see if it can hold the weight. And then there are some places that in a marriage to protect the marriage, especially when it's been broken, that you need an air cast and it's just something that you always kind of have to have because it's a weak angle or, you know, it's a weak spot in the marriage. And so, you know, I've seen couples that 
whether they need it or not, they, they protect by doing a joint Facebook account so that there's never any question of things, you know, happening and one person getting contacted and one not knowing about it. Um, they keep their phones open for one another. They, they allow, they allow for, um, transparency because there's nothing to hide. Those are things that build trust. So, I mean, I hadn't planned on talking about divorce, divorce recovery in relationships, but, um, but understand that, like, you can't go through a break like that without a proper healing structure. And that's where you might need to go get some help. Um, so, in any case, I say all that just to go back to the fact that God's word gives us boundaries for a reason, for our protection. It's not his heart for a marriage to have to go through that healing process. He'd rather you prevent it, you know. And if you follow God's commands, it prevents a whole lot of brokenness um, and a whole lot of price tags and costs that you don't always realize you pay. Um, and, you know, it, and a lot of those prices and the costs that you pay, they're not about the eternal one. Because, I mean, if you're saved, it's been paid for. But here's the thing. It doesn't mean it doesn't get in between you and the Lord. God's word promises that if we regard iniquity in our heart, he will not hear our prayers. So if you know you're walking in sin and have been wondering why God is silent, well, there you go. (laughs) You know, it's time. It's time to get rid of that sin and bring your life back into alignment. This is a part of walking with Jesus, is the humility of constantly going, Lord, I'm going to bring my life here, um, and I'm going to have you look at it. Psalm 139 starts and ends with this. Oh, Lord, you have searched me, and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thoughts from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down. You are intimately acquainted with all of my ways. Not a word um, on my, oh, wait, wait, even before there is a word on my tongue, oh, uh, behold, oh Lord, you know it all. So you can read my thoughts. And doesn't that just sound like Hebrews chapter four, where the word of God is living and active and it can discern the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Jesus is called the word of God for a reason. He is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. He sees all the way through all that you're telling everybody and pretending. He sees through through pretending because his eyes penetrate all of that. He sees the inner man. And then the Psalms ends with, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any hurtful or wicked way within me and lead me in the everlasting way. Here's the thing. I've been reading in Revelations, and one of the things I came upon the other day was this little passage that talked about how if we judge ourselves before the Lord, if we go to the Lord and say, search me and know, and we get ourselves on the right track, God doesn't have to do that in our lives. You know, there's another verse that talks about humbling ourselves before the Lord, because if we don't, he will humble us. That is his mercy. He allows us to bring our lives into alignment on our own. And if we choose not to do that over and over, him having given us those mercy moments, he eventually will come in 
and do something that exposes the deception we've been walking in. He'll bring that stuff to light, and he'll do it in such a way that we lose face. There's humbling that happens. Humbling is never fun, and it's never easy. But I'm always amazed when I see somebody humbled that they never can say they did not have the opportunity to humble themselves. I mean, I watched a pastor fall, and his last sermon was eerie. What was coming out of his mouth, honestly, was exactly what he needed to be doing. And he literally, within like six or eight hours, his sin was on the surface, and we all knew about it. But that moment in his sermon where he was talking about hidden sin was his mercy moment. So, you know, looking back, you can just see how God gives us opportunities over and over and over again to bring our lives back in alignment with his word. Um, Psalm 139, it's one of the things I love about that psalm, but that's also the one that talks about how we're fearfully and wonderfully made. Um, Now, if I look at that chapter and and kind of back out and look at it, um, what's described in that is the most, the best description of knowing someone that you could possibly create. Um, Basically, you've got that, you know, you're searching the person out, you know them, you know their patterns of life when they sit, when they rise up, you can understand their thoughts from afar, you scrutinize their paths and when they lay down, you're intimately acquainted with everything about them, Um, you know what they're going to say before they say it, isn't that one of the signs when you can finish somebody else's sentences, or you know exactly what they mean even though they can't get it out, Um, you know, all of that is being described as to how God knows us. Um, you've enclosed me behind and before you've laid your hand upon me. Um, you know, where can I go from your presence? This is a 3d image that just in this beautiful creative way explains that there is nowhere we can hide from God. There's no direction we can take to get away from him. And then it goes even further, you know, maybe you can hide in the dark. And it talks about how, you know, even the darkness is, is, is like daylight to you. It's like noonday. Um, and so this idea that you can't even hide in the dark, that God's eyes see everywhere because the darkness and the light in verse 12 are alike to you. They're the same. Um, and then it goes in, well, you know, maybe in a mom's, in a mom's womb. And then it goes, for you were formed. And you formed my inward parts. You wove me together in my mom's womb. Um, for I'm fearfully and wonderful made. Your works are wonderful. My soul knows it very well. Um, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret. You skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw me unformed, even. And in your book were written all of the days that were given to me or ordained for me, when as yet not one of them had happened. So before I even exist, you know me. How precious are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. For if I could count them, they would outnumber the sand. When I wake, I'm still with you. And so, like, there's no greater description of knowing somebody than what the author here says that God knows us that way. And so that is something that just I have beautifully taken in my life because there's so many moments where I feel unseen or unknown or misunderstood or 
um, you know, that assumptions have been put on me and where I'm coming from. And it just breaks my heart because it's not, it had nothing to do with what what I was trying to do, be, say, you know, and in those moments, I've taken refuge in this psalm, that God, the God who sees me knows my heart. He can discern what was going on in me and what my motivations and intents were in situations. Um, and so I've had a doozy or two along the way that I've had to sit and meditate on this passage and basically just recalibrate the inside of me so that I wasn't living according to the situation around me so that I was living consistent with his word. So I love Psalm 139 for that one. And Psalm 51 is another sweet one for me. Um, and this is another one of those that's like that soul searching, God, would you keep me in line with your word? Um, I'm going to just read a good chunk of this. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness. Now, I want you to understand this is a contrite sinner's prayer for pardon. This is a Psalm of David when Nathan the prophet had came to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. So this is at David's ultimate betrayal of the Lord. Like this is his worst oops moment. Um, okay. And so literally this is, this is David's response back to the Lord after being confronted. This is a godly response to confrontation, to being called out on your sin. You want to talk about humility. Here it is. This is this is what it takes to bring your soul back into alignment with the Lord. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgression. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. So right here he's recognizing that he, he's been a sinner since the moment he was born. Um, and so, and we are, we are sinners from birth, um, which I think sometimes we don't, we want to think that we're good innately, and that's not true. That's not true. I mean, we see that real clear, you know, with little babies. Yeah, anyway, okay. Um, verse 6, Behold, you desire truth in the inmost being, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. Purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you've broken rejoice. Now, David was a shepherd, okay? So historically, what you need to know about shepherds is sometimes when a sheep refuses to stay close to the shepherd and constantly is like wandering off and things like that, they would traditionally break a leg and carry it until that leg healed. And the reason they would do that is because they'd bond with the sheep and the sheep would never leave that shepherd's side then for the rest of its life. Um, it would stay close beside the shepherd. Verse 9, hide your face from my sins, blot out my iniquities, creating me a clean heart, O God, renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Now you, and the, with this, you've got to remember, we're Old Testament. We didn't have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that was sent at Pentecost. That hadn't happened yet. So in the Old Testament, we see God send his Holy Spirit 
on people for certain periods of time, sometimes for their life. And so what's David afraid of? He's afraid of what he saw happen to Saul. He saw King Saul, his mentor, um, literally he saw God withdraw his spirit. And then he saw an evil spirit come torture him. So he lived that. He knew exactly what that was. And that was one of his biggest fears. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Sustain me with a willing spirit. I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will be converted to you. And so in other words, I'm going to take what I've walked through to be an example. Um, And so forth. He goes all the way down. But that's a great one. That's a great one to bring in front of the Lord and say, God, walk me through how to do this. Um, If you're a worrier, cast your burden upon the Lord and he will sustain you. That's Psalm 55, 22. Um, Yeah, I I just really want to encourage you to to jump into this. Um, One of my favorites, Psalm 73 But a verse that kind of comes out of that is verse 28, and I'm going to close with this. As for me, the nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. This has become a life verse for me. Um, This has become something that I remind myself, the nearness of God is my good. Um, This has verses in it like, Who have I in heaven but you? And besides you, God, I desire nothing. My flesh and heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Here's the thing. The word of God is meant to sustain your soul. And if you're not in it, you'll never experience that. It'll be dry. It'll be confusing. It'll be hard to understand. The first thing I'm going to tell you is you need to have salvation. You need to be right with the Lord. Whatever that looks like, you need to be right with the Lord. You need, in my in kid language, you need to join God's team. You need to pray and trust in Christ as your Savior. You need to ask Him to make you a part of His family. Um, you need to ask Him to send you the Holy Spirit because that's what teaches you. That's what helps you to understand God's Word. Um, that's what quickens you. It convicts you of sin. It seals you. In the family of God, it protects. And I'm not talking about a crazy emotional experience because it's not always that. Sometimes you can feel God and experience something. But honestly, that sealing of the Holy Spirit sometimes comes very quietly. Um, But if you're reading God's word and not understanding, my question to you would be, one, you either need to get right with the Lord because there's some sin in there. Um, Two, you need to start praying that God meets you in his word. Or maybe you need to ask if you have ever started a relationship with the Lord, if you've ever specifically joined God's team. We can grow up in church, but that doesn't cross us from death to life. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. It doesn't get us from being enemies of God to sons of God. It doesn't do that. Church attendance is not what makes it happen. So check out Ephesians chapter 2, and it'll explain it to you. Um, I love you guys, and hopefully this has been an encouragement to get in God's Word. God bless. See you next time. listeners, we have an exciting opportunity. We are building an email list so that we can let you know what's new and what's going on with our podcast. 
If you would like to receive these updates, please send us an email to openthewordpodcast at gmail.com. No spaces in all lowercase. We look forward to hearing from you.